those are legal, right? Who knows? Go to sleep! Charles Robinson believes they are. It's all about it. Survivor Series traditional tag match Sunday. The Real Americans who got a tag title match on SmackDown around here. And now yeah. things are really against Punk and Daniel the Bryan. Shield and the Watch now have the Real Americans on their side. Yeah, and three more to this 12-man mix. Wait a minute! Yeah. Team back. Ray Mysterio! What? Mysterio's here! Mysterio's here! All right through the leg! Ray Mysterio! Wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! I am the voice of the voiceless. Do I have everybody's attention now? Sorry about your damn luck. I deserve one more match. It's going to be the end of the world as you know it. Welcome back, folks, to another electric edition of WrestleRant Radio right here on EC Radio. Your host with the most Bleacher Report featured columnist, your Tuesday night delight, Graham G.S. and Matthew. So much to break down tonight as far as the world of wrestling goes. We had an electric edition of Monday Night Raw last night live from Nashville, Tennessee. It was Raw Country. Much better than I originally anticipated. We're going to be breaking that down tonight. We have TNA Turning Point, the free live pay-per-view special. If you can really call it a pay-per-view, but it definitely has a pay-per-view lineup. This Thursday night live on Spike TV, it's going to be great. I'm going to be giving my free full prediction for that show right here tonight on WrestleRant Radio. As well as for Survivor Series this upcoming Sunday, one of the biggest four pay-per-views of the year for WWE. It's going to be taking place right from my backyard in Boston, Massachusetts. It's going to be great from the TD Bank Garden. I, of course, will not be attending, but just confirmed I will be going to Buffalo Wild Wings to watch the show for free. If you're not counting the cost of the wings that I will be buying while watching the show. But nonetheless, it's going to be a great time on Sunday night. I still cannot care less for the show, quite honestly. Um, they have not built up the show big uh, to the point where I feel like I should be purchasing it. But again, I'm going to Buffalo Wild Wings to watch the show for free. So it's going to be great. 
Um, so very much looking forward to that. And, of course, this is the final edition of WrestleRant Radio in the month of November. Because, of course, live next week, not live next week, but it's going to be Thanksgiving week, of course. Going to be off campus for the week. I will be traveling back home for the first time since September 1st. So I'm very much looking forward to that. But, of course, WrestleRant Radio will be taking the week off. On November 26th, we will be back, however, on December 3rd, 2013, from two weeks from tonight. But that's the future. This is now, folks, extremely excited to break down everything going on in the world of wrestling for you right here tonight. It's going to be great. Um, But before we get down to my Raw review, Turning Point preview, Survivor Series predictions, and much more, let me, of course, give you the lowdown as as far as where you can find me and all of my shameless plugs. You can check me out at WrestleRant Radio. I'm sorry, at nextyearwrestling.weebly.com, my official website, where you can check out my full reviews of Monday Night Raw, Friday Night SmackDown, TNA Impact, NXT, Main Event, all the pay-per-views. You name it, I review it. It's all up there at nextyearwrestling.weebly.com. Interestingly enough, the website actually just celebrated its third year anniversary this past Sunday night. Extremely excited about that. New changes are coming to the website. There's a new blog up right now that I posted on Sunday about new changes coming to the website. Um, you know, kind of taking a trip down memory lane as far as the changes that the website has undergone in the last three years and much more. So make sure to check that out. Next era wrestling.weebly.com. Make sure to check out wrestlerantradio.podbean.com. My official interview site. It's off of Podbean, my interviews that I conducted with the likes of Jeremy Prophet, Jason Rumble, Tommy Dreamer from a few years ago. Um, Buddy Romano, the new Bay State champion, and many, many others. Uh, Jack Kruger, the maniacal Jack Kruger, I should say. Tough Talk Tony Spencer. All the talents I interviewed at New England Championship Wrestling um, back in October, as well as all these superstars that I interviewed at Alchemania just a few weeks ago. So make sure to check that out and download the official app of WrestleRant Radio. It's great stuff. Make sure to check it out. Go to WrestleRant Radio dot podbean.com on your official mobile device go on safari not chrome and press the little arrow at the bottom of the screen it will say save to home page you will be notified of when new podcasts are up great stuff so make sure to check that out and of course you can listen to the repeat of this show if you're not listening live at nine o'clock eastern time eight central time right here on tuesday nights on ec radio you can listen live on saturday nights or not Technically, listen live, but you can listen to the repeat on Saturday nights at 8 o'clock Eastern Time, 7 Central Time. Same place, right here on EC Radio or on my official website, nextearwrestling.weebly.com. I I figured out a way to uh, stream the show off of there if you have trouble getting to the EC Radio website. So you can easily go just to my website and get a free shortcut, quick shortcut from there. And also make sure to like my official Facebook page. Simply search Graham GSM Matthews. Nearing those 300 likes, any appreciate, any support is greatly appreciated, so make sure to give that a like for all my wrestling news updates and much more. Make sure to check out my official Bleacher Report profile page, again, at Graham GSM Matthews for all my latest articles on the world of wrestling. I'm looking to upload a new article sometime in the next few days in regards to The Miz's most recent heel turn, which I'll be talking about here tonight on WrestleRant Radio. And one last time for Graham GSM Matthews, search it up on YouTube, 
Subscribe to me there for all my videos. And as far as excerpts from this show goes, you can check out my videos from SmackDown vs. Raw 2007 that I upload every Friday and much, much more as well as other archived interviews. Great stuff, so subscribe to me there as well. So with all that out of the way, we have TNA Turning Point. Yes, I'm kicking off the show with TNA for once tonight. Um, it was ter- it, or it will be TNA Turning Point this Thursday night live from Orlando, um, TNA's old stomping grounds before they went on the road this past March. That is where they were live from or, or taped their shows from for many, many years at Universal Studios. From what I understand, it's not the same stage that it was before they left on the road earlier this year, but it's still going to be great stuff. I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, the card is shaping up to be a very good one, even though it's not technically a pay-per-view because it's on live television on Spike TV. But um, it, it's still going to be great, though. I mean, look at this. We've got a no-DQ match, career versus club, Bully Ray versus Ken Anderson. That's going to be great. Two TNA title tournament matches, an open challenge, and a very special attraction match is up as well. So I'm going to give my full prediction for the show this upcoming Thursday night, and we're going to give my prediction for it right now. So on the show, TNA Turning Point 2013, a match that was announced last week, it's going to be very, very interesting to see Joseph Parco one-on-one with his brother, Abyss. Now, for anyone living underneath a rock and does not watch TNA, Joseph Park is, of course, Abyss, his alter ego. He you know, goes back and forth. I know there was at least one point last year on TNA Impact Television that they were in the same place at the same time. But from what I understand, someone else played Abyss, and the actual Abyss, Chris Parks, was um, Joseph Park for the night. So, with that being said, um, I'm not sure how they're going to be able to pull this match off on Thursday night. I've been enjoying the angle, but it's dragged on far too long. I think they should have um, stopped this angle far, far long ago. Um, It started back, shockingly enough, in the month of February of 2012. 2012! That was a freaking year and a half ago. Even more than that. Absolutely insane. Um, it's only a matter of time before they finally kill this angle off. Here's hoping it is on Thursday night. What happens here, I'm not really sure. I'm hoping Joseph Park comes out, Abyss doesn't come out, and Joseph Park finally realizes he's Abyss. But knowing TNA, they're probably going to have someone else come up, come out as Abyss. You know, maybe have a brief matchup. I don't know, some garbage like that. They can't take it too far because if someone else is playing Abyss, it's going to be pretty obvious that it's somebody else after a little while. So... Here's hoping Joseph Park finally realizes that he's abyss on Thursday night after shedding his own blood, some you know crap like that that we've come to see from him for many, many years now, or at least for the last year and a half. And then we finally get the TNA Television Championship back. Now, I couldn't care less about the little red toy belt, but some people have been clamoring to get it back, and I would like to see it back, at least put to good use. So um, here's hoping that returns at some point, at uh, some point soon too, because uh, it could be good. It could be put to good use if it's on the waist of someone like Christopher Daniels or Kazarian, not someone like Abyss who won it back at Slammiversary five months ago and has, I don't think, defended it since. But uh, we'll move on from there. Though we have Gil Kim's open challenge now. Gil Kim announced on a most recent episode of Impact Wrestling that she has dominated the competition in TNA Impact Wrestling. Now, who can argue with that point? So let's look right now, folks. Before you go on the official TNA website, let's take a little rundown of the TNA Knockouts division right now in TNA. We've got the current reigning champion. We've got Gail Kim. 
We've got, uh, what's her name? The Tamina Snuka lookalike, Lady Tapa. She recently debuted, but she's there too. But she's the lackey of Gail Kim. So she's not going to be challenging Gail Kim for the title. So we've got Lady Tapa, Gail Kim, Velvet Sky, who doesn't wrestle all that much. Mostly appears with her boyfriend, Chris Sabin, whose name Dixie Carter forgot on a recent episode of Impact. That was kind of odd. But um, they've apparently dropped the storyline with Chris Saban and Velvet Sky for some reason. They really haven't followed up with it since Bound for Glory a month ago. So I don't know if they're going to go forward with it. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Only time will tell. But uh, yeah, Velvet Sky and Gail Kim have had millions of matches in the past. Have no desire to see those two square off for the championship anytime soon. As much as they love Velvet Sky. And despite the fact that we share the same birthday. And are from the same state as well of Connecticut. Um, so we've got Velvet Sky, we've got Gail Kim, Lady Tapa, ODB. ODB's a little guilty pleasure of mine. She can be fun in small doses, but she should not at all be the knockouts champion. She was the reigning champ for a mere month before she lost it to Gail Kim at Bound for Glory last month. So, no, I don't want to see Gail Kim versus ODB again. Another series of boring matches. And then we have Brooke Tessmacher, who has improved in the ring. I'll give her that much. Since uh, 2010, or I think it was 2010, 2009 or 2010, I don't, I'm not really sure, when she jumped ship to TNA, she's improved somewhat in the last three years, but she was better off as a babyface. She was uh, much more over in that role. I like her in the role that she is now with Bully Ray, so nothing to take away from that, but um, she just can't wrestle for crap, so I don't see her contending for the championship anytime soon either, so... Those are the only five women that we have in the knockouts division right now, people, in TNA, which is just embarrassing. I've stressed that in the past. But, you know, that aside, who will challenge Gail Kim for the knockouts championship? Last week, it was Hannah Blossom from that British boot camp show that TNA ran in the United Kingdom for a number of months. I didn't watch it, so I can't really criticize it. Um, Hannah Blossom, she was fine in the ring. She ultimately came up short. Who will it be to answer the challenge this week? I don't think it's going to be anyone notable. Um, you know, someone like an Angelina Love or a Awesome Kong. Because at last word, all of those notable women from TNA that departed the company are, on, are all on bad terms with TNA and have no intentions of returning. Same thing goes with Tara. So I don't see them coming back, unfortunately. It might be just somebody um, that we've seen that uh, that participated at the most recent knockouts knockdown pay-per-view that they the, the one only pay-per-view that they had just recently so it might be someone like that but i would love for it to be a big name someone like a melina from wwe who has yet to jump ship to tna that'd be pretty cool um maybe winter katie lee Burchill, but again i think they might be on bad terms so she might not be coming back or madison rain i think she just recently had a kid so i don't think it'd be madison rain but even still, I'm, in, I'm very much intrigued to see who ends up answering the challenge. So here's hoping this is their way of getting new championship or getting new talent into the knockouts division in TNA because right now it's just flat out embarrassing. Up next, we have a one of two TNA title tournament matchup in the um, it's a quarterfinals of the tournament. A bull rope match as uh, it was made official by... Around the, the, the Dixie Wheel, I believe it's called. Dixie Carter's Dixie Wheel with all the stipulation of the matches. I'll stress this again. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I don't think any of the matches in the TNA title tournament for the vacant TNA World Heavyweight Championship need stipulations. I think all the matches are fine just by themselves. Because let's look at the matches here. We had Angle versus Aries last week on Impact, which was fantastic. The stipulation was good because both guys are submission specialists for the most part. 
more so Angle than Aries, but it was still a great matchup, so you know, I'll let that one go. Saban, Chris Saban versus Jeff Hardy in the Full Metal Mayhem matchup from a few weeks ago. That was very that was a very fun matchup too, seeing how that matchup kind of fit the styles of both competitors. So I was fine with that matchup too. But a bull rope match, are you serious for James Storm versus Bobby, Bobby Roode? That's ridiculous. I mean, James Storm versus Bobby Roode, I selfishly admit, is my favorite feud in TNA history. I think it was beautifully built after Bobby Roode turned on James Storm after uh, on November 3rd, 2011 to capture the TNA World Heavyweight title for the first time in his career, thus embarking on the longest reigning title run in TNA company history. Fantastic stuff. So I thought that feud was awesome, but they don't need to squander it by having these two face off in a bull rope match. A very dull matchup. I mean, it's not the worst kind of matchup they can do. I mean, they could probably do much worse in a bull rope matchup. But um, I-, I would much rather see them you know, face off in a straight one-on-one standard singles matchup. We've seen these two compete in steel cage matches, fatal four-ways, triple threats, street fights. You name it, they've faced off in it except a bull rope match, which we see happen on Thursday night. So as far as my prediction for this matchup, I'm going to have to go with Bobby Roode. He and Angle have the hottest thing going in TNA right now, or as far as the hottest feud, because I say the hottest angle has got to be the AJ Styles departing TNA with the championship still in tow. I think that's a great angle, but as far as right now, the hottest feud going on in TNA right now would have to be Kurt Angle versus Bobby, Bobby Roode, hands down. These two have had matches in the past dating back to 2011's Bound for Glory, but it was only just recently that their rivalry heated up to epic proportions after their great match at Bound for Glory, their great rematch in the Halloween episode of Impact a few weeks ago. Great stuff. Bobby Roode putting Kurt Angle out of commission, albeit for a week, with a concussion. But Kurt Angle bounced back within a week for some reason. I don't really understand why. But, you know, outside of that, though, this feud has been very well built. I think it might culminate in the finals of the TNA tournament. I don't think it will. I think there's a chance that it might. But I don't. I still think Magnus will emerge victorious as the TNA World Heavyweight Champion. But that's another topic for another time. But um, who comes out victorious in this one? I've got to say Bobby Roode. Um, more often than not, Bobby Roode has been on the winning end of matches with James Storm, with the exception of Bound for Glory last year. But I've got to go with Bobby Roode in this one, advancing in the tournament and eventually facing Angle since Angle defeated Austin Aries last week on Impact to advance in the tournament as well. And of course, the other TNA title tournament matchup in the quarterfinals of the tournament, we're going to see former World Tag Team Champions, another set of world, former World Tag Team Champions face off against one another, Samoa Joe and Magnus, in a Falls Count Anywhere match. This should be excellent. These two had a great series of matches that arguably made Magnus last year. Magnus had a great run as a heel, over the summer of 2012, participating in the Bound for Glory Series Tournament. And then he went on to have a great feud with his former tag team partner, Samoa Joe, in the final few months of 2012. Although he came up short and was unable to win the television championship, ultimately, these two had a lot of good matches with each other at Bound for Glory, and even at Turning Point last year, um, interestingly enough. Now this time around, Magnus is a babyface. Magnus has... uh, very much improved since the last time we saw him a year ago at TNA Turning Point. But um, who comes out victorious in this one? Although Samoa Joe cut out cut a very good promo against Dixie Carter last week on Impact, saying how if he was to win the tournament, he'll defend the championship first against the 
former, and I say that with quotes because he is technically the current reigning, but even still, technically, he's the former in storyline sense um, TNA World Heavyweight Champion, AJ Styles. So Joe versus Styles sounds good to me. I don't think we're going to be ending up getting it, but um, I don't even think Joe's going to come out victorious in this one because, like I said before, I think Magnus is going all the way in winning this tournament. I don't think he should turn heel. Um, it might be He might be better off as a heel at this point, only because he's been getting booed slightly ever since the whole Sting feud bombed. That match was terrible at Bound for Glory. I had much higher expectations for it. I'm happy he won clean, but the fans don't seem to be happy, and he's definitely not the most over guy in the roster right now. So it's only a matter of time before they turn him heel, and we all know how high Dixie Carter is on Magnus. So having him be the corporate champion of TNA only makes sense. So I'm going to have to go with Magnus winning this tournament. And of course, this matchup against Samoa Joe falls count anywhere. The match itself, like I said before, should be excellent. <coughs> Excuse me. And of course, in the main event of the show, we're going to see Bully Ray take on Mr. Anderson in a no disqualification match. It's club versus career. If Bully Ray emerges victorious, Mr. Kennedy must leave TNA forever. If Mr. Kennedy wins, Mr. Kennedy, I meant Mr. Anderson. I don't know why I got that mixed up. His former WWE name, Mr. Kennedy. Um, if Mr. Anderson emerges victorious in this one, then Aces and Eights must disband. So just a little news flash for those out there that have not been watching TNA consistently over the last few months. Mr. Anderson's contract expired about two months ago. Um, he took a little time off from the company and ultimately returned on their post-BFG show, just mere days after Bound for Glory. So I highly doubt they would have him leave the company again after legitimately leaving. I don't think they'd have him leave again, like they did with Devon when he got fired. Um, you know, he was fired on the show and eventually left. I don't think they're going to be doing that with Anderson, if only because he just recently resigned. Unless he signed an extension, I don't know, but I doubt it. They wouldn't have brought him back in the first place. So I don't think Anderson is losing here, and if he did... I'd be very, very sad because I do not at all want to see the Aces and Eights continue. Um, granted, they had a great segment a few weeks ago in which they faked the whole Aces and Eights disbanding. I thought that was very good. They definitely sold me on it. But uh, I do not at all want to see Aces and Eights continue. They have no purpose. They've been around since June of 2012, almost a year and a half ago. It's ridiculous. TNA just has a tendency of drawing on angles, dragging on angles for... Just an unnecessary amount of time. Like I said before, the Joseph Park thing, dating back to February of 2012 with all Aces and Eights going since June of 2012, sometimes it's a good thing that angles go on for that long, but not when they're badly booked. The Aces and Eights, they started out well. I liked them at certain points, but they're down to only four members if you count Taz, who doesn't do squat on commentary. So technically, they're down to three characters, down to Garrett Bischoff, Nux, and Bully Ray. That's not the most formidable faction there is out there. So I got to go with Mr. Anderson here. These two had a heck of a match at No Surrender, I believe it was, two months ago. Live on Impact. I think that was a last man standing matchup. Bully Ray emerged victorious in that one. So I'd be looking forward to this matchup if, uh, if the stipulation wasn't as obvious. But I'm still very much looking forward to it, if only because the Aces and Eights might finally be ending. This feud can still carry on post this show. Um, after Turning Point, these two can still feud and whatnot, but I just have no intentions of seeing Aces and Eights 
anymore going forward. So those are my predictions for TNA Turning Point this upcoming Thursday night. Of course, there might be more matches announced for the show as it's going on, but those are the only advertised matchups as of right now. And again, it's not on pay-per-view. It's free on Spike TV. So if you're free this upcoming Thursday night, one week, only one week away before Thanksgiving, make sure to check it out. It's going to be a good show. So um, it, it definitely has a potential to be a very entertaining edition of Impact, if booked correctly. So on that note, we're going to go right in now to Raw Country last night, live from Nashville, Tennessee. A surprisingly good show. I actually went into this thing thinking it was going to be a disaster because, I mean, look at the title. It, it's, it's Raw Country, people. Raw Country. No offense to those people that like country music. I'm not a country music myself. I'm not a country music fan myself, but um, I, I just don't see any purpose in what it was supposed to serve. I mean, this is a go-home show before Survivor Series, one of the worst booked pay-per-views with one of the worst build-ups they've had in years. They've literally given fans no incentive to order this pay-per-view at all. The card could be good, but as of right now, the buy rate is going to go to crap. It's just going to go straight to crap because they have done such a terrible job of making the show feel important. And keep in mind, this is supposed to be one of their biggest pay-per-views of the year behind WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, and SummerSlam. Right now, it doesn't feel like it. Right now, it feels like Money in the Bank, Payback, Extreme Rules, and hell, maybe even TLC are all more important than Survivor Series right now, which is a shame. <clears throat> because Survivor Series last year, the year before that... <coughs> Excuse me. I thought they were all very good. So I think it's a shame that they have not done a better job of making this show and specifically feel more important. But for what it's worth, though, if you take away the fact that this Raw was a go-home show, I thought it was very entertaining. We kick things off with the least entertaining thing of the night. Well, not the most uh, unbearable thing. I'll get to that a little later when I talk about the musical chairs. Oh, God, musical chairs. Um, we kicked off the show with The Authority, Triple H and Stephanie McMahon, respectively, addressing the actions of Vicky Guerrero and Brad Maddox as they took charge of Monday Night Raw last week when they shouldn't have, and they were punished by being sentenced to matches with Randy Orton and Vicky or, and uh, AJ Lee, respectively, a little later on in the show. So I don't know what WWE's obsession, their fascination, their fetish with authority figures is, but it needs to stop because it's not leading to an increase in the ratings. I highly doubt anyone cares. Granted, it's much better than the legal BS that they were doing before, um, those legal vignettes that they did with uh, Big Show and The Authority a few weeks ago. Those were absolutely unbearable. But thankfully, we're slowly moving away from that, and we're kind of moving into the authority figures. But <laughs> the authority figures haven't meant anything in years since the dissolution of the brand extension. The Raw GM, the SmackDown GM, let's face it, they have no power. They are basically useless when Triple H and Stephanie are around, and even Kane, the director of operations. So they serve no purpose. They shouldn't even be on television. I can't stand Vicky Guerrero. I, I like her as a person. She seems like a very sweet woman, but as a character, she's been very much overexposed in the role of a general manager, so they need to get her away from that as quickly as possible. Brad Maddox, he's entertaining too, but I don't know. He just seems completely useless when H and uh, Stephanie are around, so that was kind of a boring segment to kick off the show with, 
And then after that, we followed up with another meaningless match. It was no disqualification. It was the WWE champion, Randy Orton. I don't know why I tried to roll his R there. He's not even Mexican. I don't know why I did that. Taking on the Raw general manager, Brad Maddox. Like I said before, no disqualification matchup. As expected, Orton absolutely pummels Maddox to a bloody pulp, or almost bloody pulp. Keep in mind, people, this is PG. And Brad Maddox ends up getting taken out on a stretcher. So like I said before, completely meaningless. I have no intentions of seeing Maddox getting beat up by a fellow heel. The crowd had zero reaction to this. I mean, of course they were reacting to it, but they had zero incentive to care about either guy since both guys are intended to be heels. What is the purpose of a heel versus heel matchup? Why am I supposed to care for or feel sympathy Feel sympathetic for Brad Maddox, who has been a heel general manager for the longest time when he's taking a beating from a heel champion in Randy Orton. It makes no sense. It was entertaining at times when Maddox tried to battle back, but it was useless. It did nothing to sell me on Sunday. It gave Orton a little extra edge, I guess, but he lost some momentum a little later on when he got the uh, when Big Show got the better of him. And I'll get to that a little later on as well, but even still, this... Match their zero purpose. Completely meaningless matchup that should not even bother to happen. Thankfully, though, we did get a matchup that was something of note. It was for the Intercontinental Championship. It was Curtis Axel putting his title on the line against Big E Langston in the pre-show matchup that we were supposed to get at Helm Cell last month. A very good matchup from these two. <coughs> they wrestled a very well-wrestled matchup. They have good chemistry with one another. The crowd was shockingly responsive to both guys. Curtis Axel, his heat wasn't all that strong, but let's face it, it was miles better than what he got in England last week. And England is supposed to be a hot crowd. They just didn't give two craps about Brad Maddox, uh, I'm sorry, about Curtis Axel last week. And who can blame them? They've given no. They've been given zero reason to care for this guy as a heel face, whatever. They've been given zero incentive to boo him. So thankfully, he got a little better reaction this week. Biggie Langston was very much over with the live Nashville crowd. So like I said, good matchup from these two, which ends with Biggie Langston hitting the big ending on Curtis Axel to capture his first Intercontinental Championship. So that was a great ending. No pun intended. But um, we have a new IC champion, folks, for the first time since Father's Day. Back in June at Payback, we have a new Intercontinental Champion. <clears throat> A lot of people like to poo-poo on Curtis Axel's reigns, uh, on Curtis Axel's reign as IC champion, but I personally did not think it was all that bad. Because I mean, you got to take into account all the victories that he's garnered. I mean, some of them were more, you know, suspicious than other ones, but they're still official and they're still in the record books. Let's recite this here for a second. He's beaten John Cena. He's beaten Triple H. He's defended his title against the likes of Dolph Ziggler, The Miz, Wade Barrett. Uh, who else? Uh, Kofi Kingston, R-Truth. So Curtis Axel, in my book, has been a pretty successful Intercontinental Champion. I like the fact that the commentators were stressing that throughout the course of this matchup. But I can see why a lot of people would think otherwise, because this guy's taken so many GTSs from CM Punk that I honestly lost track after the first dozen. But um, And he's done nothing to get heat from the live crowd either, so he's not really a heel. He's not a bad wrestler. This guy's a very good wrestler. That's one of the reasons why people wanted to see him repackaged in the first place when he was first going by the moniker of Michael McGillicuddy at this point last year. He's a very good wrestler. He just has zero charisma, that's all. 
And it appears that his officiation with Paul Heyman is officially over, as Paul Heyman was not on this show in the WWE website, as well as Axel himself last week on SmackDown, uh, reinforced the fact that he is no longer a Paul Heyman guy. Whether it's for the better or worse remains to be seen, but as of right now, it looks like Axel is back to the lower mid-card. Curtis Axel... Um, you know, won the title back in June. He had a decent reign with the title, but it's now Big E Langston's time. Like I mentioned before, he was very much over with this crowd. I thought it was a great move to put the belt on Langston, especially if they are keen on pushing him going forward as a babyface. I saw a few people in the crowd after he won, um, you know, throwing up their hands in the five signal. Because remember, if for those of you that don't watch NXT, he his whole gimmick down there was, you know, flashing five um, his theme lyrics were uh, three ain't enough man only five because he likes to make a five count on his opponents. So I think that'd be a great gimmick, and as long as they can, as long as they can incorporate that into his gimmick going forward, I would love to see it. He would get even more over with the crowd. So here's hoping Langston can bring some importance back to the IC Championship that was kind of lost or has been lost for quite some time now. Moving right along, we had the Divas Musical Chairs. Um, I wish I didn't have to talk about this, but I do because it's on the uh, on my official uh, rundown here. So it's unfortunate. Please, people, kill me, kill me, or at least you should have killed me last night when I was watching this thing. Because um, all the divas of the divas division, all fourteen of them, with the exception of Layla, who was absent for some reason, um, they played musical chairs for all of thirty seconds before it ended in a Pier Six brawl. And JBL, if nothing else, JBL was the absolute saving grace. The wrestling god himself was the absolute saving grace of this segment by just claiming how terrible it was throughout. It was hysterical. So at least we have somebody telling the truth over there on the commentating table when Michael Cole and JBL, or Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler aren't. But even still, this segment, as one would expect, was an absolute train wreck. Um, Thankfully, it was kept short. It was over within a minute or so, but it was mainly just a catalyst for a... Seven-on-seven Divas tag team match this Sunday that will see the total Divas cast take on the Divas that aren't involved in the show. So it's a decent concept. They've been building it up, and I'll get to my, you know, I'll talk about this a little more when I talk about my predictions for the show. But, um, you know, even still, I don't think this matchup was necessary, or there wasn't even a matchup. It was a segment. I don't, it wasn't even a segment, people. This was an absolute freaking train wreck. One of the worst things I've seen in a very long time. But nonetheless, we have a 14 Diva tag team match coming out of this. So it wasn't completely useless. So switching gears now, facing off for the first time ever was the Big Show and Ryback on this show. I was hoping to see this match initially at WrestleMania 29 um, this past year with Big Show as the World Heavyweight Champion, Ryback as the Royal Rumble winner. Unfortunately, it didn't pan out that way because they gave the Royal Rumble victory instead to, of course, and none other than John Cena, who faced The Rock in a very mediocre main event for WrestleMania this year. But that's another rant for another day. Um, then I was hoping we would get this match with the roles reversed at this year's, or the upcoming WrestleMania, at WrestleMania 30, since Ryback is now heel and Big Show has since turned face. Um, I didn't think Big Show would put him over anyway. I mean, with Big Show being a face... Ryback being the heel, and considering how buried Ryback has been over the last year or so, I had no doubts in my mind that he would have come out 
on the losing end of that matchup had it happened at WrestleMania. But surprisingly enough, this matchup was actually good. Um, I, I say that because their matchup, um, the matchup between Mark Henry and Ryback from this past year's WrestleMania was a very big disappointment. Their styles just did not mesh. It was a train wreck of a matchup. It's unfortunate because, like I said, I had high hopes for that matchup. And Ryback didn't even win. It was a complete waste. So, anyway, we got Big Show versus Ryback on the show. Good matchup. Ryback dominates most of the contest before Big Show ultimately pulls out with the victory after a WMD weapon of mass destruction. However, Ryback put up a heck of a fight against the world's largest athlete. When he wasn't putting out a rest hold on him, he engaged in the shell-shocked. He put the shell-shocked on the Big Show. Now, I remember talking about this on my other radio shows earlier this year, talking with people, is Ryback going to be able to shell-shock Big Show? They should practice this first. Because remember, it was almost exactly a year ago. I think it was exactly a year ago to this day of November 9, 2013, that Ryback faced Tensai. And this wasn't the matchup that Ryback botched. I think that was a, uh, about a month prior. But even still, remember, those of you, it, it's hard to forget that Ryback botched the shell shock on a Tensai. And Tensai is way smaller than Big Show. So I was very surprised that Ryback was able to hit that move on the Big Show last night without botching at all. So it was a very cool sight. Of course, the Big Show kicked out of the finisher. But, um, and again, like I said before, it kind of killed any momentum for this matchup. If it was going to happen for the first time ever at WrestleMania next year, it still could. I'm not saying it won't, but it kind of killed the first time ever vibe. But even so, good showing from Ryback, who at this point I think she just might as well just turn face. I think I said that last week, but it just it seems like a popular decision by this point. I thought he could play a good heel when he initially turned back in April, but they bombed it because the only reason why he was so over with the crowd at this point last year was because of his Feed Me More chance. Remember, it was almost exactly a year ago that this guy was headlining Survivor Series for the WWE Championship against CM Punk and John Cena. A year later, he's jobbing to R-Truth. So I don't know what their plan is for Ryback. I know there's rumors going around right now that he might face Brock Lesnar at the Royal Rumble pay-per-view. I'd be fine with that, but there's no chance in hell that Ryback comes out of that one victorious. And the reasoning behind that match would be, of course, that um, since Paul Heyman has since severed ties with the, uh, with the big monster named Ryback, that he would fetch Lesnar onto Ryback to face off against him at Royal Rumble. Now, a lot of people draw comparisons between Lesnar and Goldberg and Lesnar and Ryback if that match was to happen, and that matchup could very well be terrible. But Brock Lesnar has had a, has had a handful of of five-star matches since coming back against the likes of CM Punk, John Cena, and even Triple H. I would say their most recent matchup at Extreme Rules was pretty good. So Lesnar has had a uh, a strong streak of great matches on pay-per-view. And it could be another win for Lesnar going into Mania, whoever he ends up facing, maybe a rematch with Punk. But um, even still, like I said before, I think turning back Ryback babyface would be the best thing for him at this point. Moving right along, we had the Real Americans taking on Kofi Kingston in The Miz. And in this matchup, right as The Miz came out, I knew he was turning heel. I knew it. Because first of all, he wasn't, I mean, I don't mean to sound cocky or smug or anything, but it was kind of predictable. And I don't mean that in a bad way because I like the move, and I'll get to that in a second. But um, as soon as Miz came out, I remembered the fact he wasn't on Raw last week. Because remember, it was about two weeks ago that he turned heel and they're during WWE's recent string of live events over in the uh, Europe. 
So, and a lot of people are questioning whether they were going to bring that heel persona to TV. And he faced Kofi Kingston on the tour, so it only made sense that he turned on Kingston. But in the <coughs> excuse me, in the early goings of this matchup, Michael Cole made reference to the fact that uh, the Miz did not want to be tag teaming with Kofi Kingston, so it only made sense that he was going to end up turning on him. So during the course of the matchup, it was fine for what it was. They worked well together. Of course, like I said before, I was kind of just waiting for the Miz to turn heel, so the rest of the matchup didn't really appeal to me at all. But Kofi Kingston was on his hot streak. He was getting beat up by Jack Swagger. Uh, Kofi Kingston went in to tag the Miz, and Miz alligator-armed him, backed out of the ring, and just refused to tag in. And this came after the Miz was back-tagged by Kofi Kingston earlier on in the matchup. So maybe that was his motivation for turning heel. But the Miz garnered good heat from this. I mean... You know, he's been garnering heat ever since he turned babyface, unfortunately. I hate to admit it, but it's true. But, um, you know, even still, um, The Miz is now heel after the Real Americans picked up the victory over Kofi Kingston after Jack Swagger forced Kingston to submit to the Patriot Act. So, I very much enjoyed The Miz as a babyface. Personally, I know a lot, a lot, a lot of people didn't. And I can see why. And I, I partially blame that on WWE's booking more so than Miz himself. But um, even still, I think it was the best thing for him. He's had nothing going for him for a very, very long time now. Hopefully this gives him some new, um, you know, rejuvenates his character for the time being. I have no doubt in my mind that he's going to go back to jobbing within a few weeks, which I hope not, but I would not at all be surprised to see that happen. Because remember, I was whining at this point last year that he should turn face after jobbing to the likes of John Cena and Sheamus and Randy Orton week in and week out. It was kind of pointless that he was still a heel, and it had definitely run its course. And I remember reading a report that said that The Miz had done everything that he needed to do as a heel, which is true. So he had all the potential in the world to be a strong babyface. And he just turned back heel because it wasn't working out. WWE didn't want to follow up with it. They did everything they could, or so they claimed, so they turned him back heel. But before I go forward, though, I'll play a brief clip of The Miz quote-unquote turning heel this past Monday night on Monday Night Raw. Among the superstars and divas participating in this great show tonight, Kofi kicks it up over the top. Oh! Rock is tweeting about his debut in WWE at Survivor Series back in 1996. Kofi and there's Kingston. He is lighting things up here in Raw country. Whoa! Kofi's fired up. The yeah. boot drop. Uh-oh, could be trouble in paradise time. Watch it, watch it. Cesaro pays for it. Kofi all caught by Man. Swagger. Oh, boy, this These Swagger These guys are catching impressive. everything that's fine. <laughs> I'm telling you. Oh, Ooh, Swagger planning Kingston. This could be it. No, Kingston stays in it. Near fall for the real Americans. They couldn't be a cowboy receiver. They're catching everything. <laughs> If I had just done something that impressive and didn't win, I'd be frustrated as well. You root for the Browns. And here's Swagger. Look at Kingston. Oh, my God. Wow, what a counter. Kobe oh, Kingston. Man. And that's what it's all about for Kingston. What that was beautiful. Incredible athleticism. <laughs> and Miz wants in this matchup. Miz is chomping at the pit. Here comes Kingston. Trying to make a tag. Kingston to get, get, get there, get there, get there. Oh, 
Patriot lock on Kofi Kingston. Miz is just watching. And Kingston's got a tap out. This is even to help Kingston. The real American. Oh, yes, my sources are right, guys. So, after that, The Miz is indeed a heel. Like I said, it's unfortunate because I think they could have done a lot more with his babyface uh, shtick than they did. But, you know, even still, I think it was only a matter of time before they turned him back heel because I think he works better as a heel. And they needed to refresh his character from becoming stagnant. And let's face it, he was stagnant for many months. But moving forward here, we had AJ Lee taking on Vicky Guerrero. Just a joke of a matchup. It wasn't even a match. I mean, I like the fact that Michael Cole made reference to the fact that these two feuded last year. Interestingly enough, also involving Tamina. But it, I think it's just disrespectful to have Vicky Guerrero go out there. And it wasn't her fault. But, you know, of course, Vince McMahon probably put her up to it. And he's the only one laughing at this. But you have Vicky Guerrero go out there and fake in uh, being dehydrated and fainting. An absolute joke. And not, not even a funny joke. I mean, like... As a joke in the sense that, so tasteless, so tasteless on WWE's part. Like, why would you even attempt something like that? And remember, for those of you that are unaware of what I'm talking about, it was at a recent live event over, I think it was in Europe, um, that AJ Lee fainted during a matchup. And she was, it was said to be due to dehydration. She was okay. She wrestled the next night like a trooper. That's my AJ. But, um, you know, even still, to have Vicky go out there on Monday Night Raw and then mimic... AJ's health issues that she had just a few days prior, absolutely tasteless. And like I said, this wouldn't be the first time they did this, because remember, it was on the go-home show last year for Survivor Series that Jerry Lawler returned from his heart attack um, after you know two months having from a heart attack live on Raw. They had CM Punk go out there and fake a heart attack. So maybe there's something with WWE and on the last Raw before Survivor Series just making tasteless jokes. I don't know. But we'll switch gears here to Dolph Ziggler and Damian Sandow facing off in a Broadway brawl. Now, for those of you unfamiliar with the concept, and I was too before the last night, Triple H made it official, it was basically a street fight with the use of instruments that had no strings on them. As dumb as the match concept was, I understand why it happened. I mean, this is raw country. They couldn't have completely ignored the gimmick of the show, so they had to play to it a little bit. And it was actually entertaining, because Ziggler and Sandow two of the most underutilized talents in WWE right now, made this match work to the best of their abilities. They have great chemistry with each other. Um, They utilize weapons well. And I love the finish with Dolph Ziggler paying tribute to Tennessee's own, Nashville's own, Jeff Jarrett by smacking the, uh, by shattering the guitar over the head of Damian Sandow right after doing his signature strut. So I thought that was great. Um, Especially since, you know, Dolph Ziggler kind of looks like Jeff Jarrett a little bit in the hair, but um, I thought this was entertaining. The match concept, extremely dumb. Dolph Ziggler should be contending for the world title right now, as should Damian Sandow. These two should be feuding over the world title right now, because uh, like I mentioned a few weeks ago, the one night removed from Survivor Series when Damian Sandow cashed in unsuccessfully his Money in the Bank briefcase against John Cena, I was hoping that I wasn't going to bash on it. Only because I had high hopes for the follow-up from the angle, and they haven't done anything with Sandow since. And again, it's a massive shame, because this guy is just full of talent that they could be using him for right now in top-tier feuds with the likes of Cena and other big baby faces. And same thing with, same thing with Ziggler, like I said time and time again, 
Former World Heavyweight Champion, one of the most over guys in the roster a few months ago. He's still very much over. He got a good reaction from this crowd. But he should be in the world title picture right now, as opposed to John Cena and Alberto Del Rio. And speak of the devils, they had a segment on this show. John Cena was announced to be speaking on his Survivor Series status after being, after being injured at the hands of Alberto Del Rio last week on Raw and SmackDown, respectively. I made a joke last night that Del Rio didn't re-injure Cena's arm. It was due to the fact that Cena had been winning so many matches since his return that he had his arm raised too many times, thus re-injuring the arm in the process. Regardless, um, John Cena just speaking out of status. Is, he came out with his arm in a sling. Del Rio came out to mock him. It was just so goddamn predictable. Just it just I, I just do not like this feud. This feud was as standard as it gets. It was as cookie cutter as it gets, people. This feud has been atrocious since it started. Their matches, their match at uh, Hell in a Cell was good, but I just also oh desperately want to see Del Rio out of the title picture for a good year or so. He's been chasing the world title for about nonstop for almost exactly a year now. He even chased it before that over the course of the summer of 2012, and he was chasing the WWE title before he got injured at the end of 2011, two years ago. So this guy needs to move away from a championship for a very, very long time. Some people make the argument that he's not interesting when he doesn't have a title on him. And as true as that is, he should not be chasing for the title either. Face or heel, doesn't matter. This segment was, like I said, as generic as it gets. Cena faked his arm injury, ended up beating Del Rio, uh, ended up beating up Del Rio. I'm sure we'll see him beat Del Rio this Sunday. And that's exactly it. We know that John Cena is going to emerge victorious on Sunday, so why bother have him get the better of Del Rio on the show? They might you know, try to fix it by having Del Rio get the better of Cena on SmackDown, but let's face it, how much of the Raw audience actually watches SmackDown? I, for one, do, but I know a lot of people don't. A lot of people either record it or don't even bother watching it at all. Don't even read the spoilers. So there's no point in trying to get Del Rio's heat back on SmackDown. It's a lost cause at this point. Hopefully this feud ends on Sunday. Both guys can move on to bigger and better things. Up next, we had R-Truth tag-teaming with the recently debuted Xavier Woods. The take on 3MB. Now, Xavier Woods, better known as Consequences Creed, back over in TNA when he was initially signed by WWE in the summer of 2010. I was extremely excited. I wanted to see him promoted to the main roster almost immediately. I was just that anxious to see him on TV. And it made sense, too, because, you know, he had TV experience over in TNA for many, many years as Consequences Creed, former X-Division champion and world tag team champion in his own right. But I guess TNA doesn't count in WWE's mind. So they sent him down to NXT to season his skills for quite a bit, for three years to be exact, three and a half years, I should say, and develop the persona of Xavier Woods. Um, he was very much over in NXT. I like his gimmick. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Eddie Murphy back in the day. And he's got this whole Power Rangers thing going on by saying it's morphing time. Kind of similar to CM Punk's clobber in time, but he says it during the matchup. So I like it. Maybe the people, you know, catch on over time. So I very much like the duo, a duo of Truth and Woods, if only because he gives Truth something interesting to do because I couldn't care less about him as a singles performer. So at least he's in the tag team division. Um, and unlike Kingston and Truth, who were just randomly paired together, <coughs> Xavier and Truth actually have chemistry. Not only due to the fact that they're, you know, I'm not going to say it's because they're both black. That's just being, you know, freaking racist. But also due to the fact that these two formerly tag teamed 
back over in TNA as Truth and Consequences. When Ron Killings, or, you know, R-Truth is going by the name of his real name, Ron Killings, he was calling himself the Truth at the time, Truth and Consequences. Of course, they can't do that name now because his name is Xavier Woods, but I very much like the team of Truth and Woods. Great to see Woods on the WWE main shows. And we had Florida Georgia Line perform their signature song, Cruise, up next. Not as bad as some people would think it was. Um, like I said before, not a country music fan. But this this performance wasn't completely unbearable. And WWE needed to have some sort of advertisement for this band after they supported the show and made various appearances and advertised it and you know plugged it on their Twitters and whatnot. They needed to... Uh, they need to repay them. So I appreciate that WWE did that. But, you know, even still, I'm not one for musical performances on Raw. If anything, I would hope that we would get something like, you know, a loving Calore like we did at WrestleMania. Or maybe even Fozzie from Chris Jericho, who Jericho has always stated in his books that would he would fear, he, he feared that they'd be booed out of the building had they competed on stage, had they performed on a stage. But I think they'd be miles better than a country music band. But they were in Nashville, so the, the live crowd enjoyed it. So I didn't mind it either. And thankfully, it led into our main event matchup that saw CM Punk, Daniel Bryan, the Usos, and the WWE Tag Team Champions Cody Rhodes and Goldust take on the Shield and the Wyatt family in a massive six-person, 12-person, I'm sorry, tag team match that that a lot of people were hoping to see at Survivor Series this Sunday. Um, And of course, that's not the case. Instead, we're going to be getting CM Punk and Daniel Bryan versus Luke Luke Harper. Luke Harper. What the heck? Luke Harper and Eric Rowan. And as for the traditional Survivor Series 5-on-5 tag team match, we're going to see the Rhodes Brothers, the Usos, and the Mystery Man take on the Real Americans and the Shield. So I like that setup. It's not the 6-on-6 match that we saw on this show, which very easily could have you know passed as a pay-per-view match, but... I still like what they're doing instead. So that being said, though, this matchup was absolutely fantastic. Definitely one of the best main event matches they've done all year on Monday Night Raw. And that's what, I mean, say what you will about the three-hour concept for Raw, but it does have its perks. And one of its perks is having longer matches. This matchup got nearly 25 minutes of in-ring action. We saw the Usos in the main event. We saw the Tag Team Champions in the main event. We saw the Wyatt Family in the Shield. Once again, almost coming to blows. Once again, almost foreshadowing their matchup. Um, signaling a potential feud between the two factions come WrestleMania 30. So I like the little seeds they're planting there. But um, even still, though, I thought this was fantastic. It was better after the second commercial break, but all of it was very, very well done. Solid action. The finishing sequence was fantastic as well. Everyone was able to hit their finisher, so I very much enjoyed it. Then after the matchup, the Real Americans came out, who were not involved in this bout. They came out, started attacking the babyfaces, and out comes Rey Mysterio who I played in the pre-show audio, making his return. Now, personally, I have never been a huge fan of Rey Mysterio. I read his book. I had that book signed by Mysterio himself when I met him three years ago. Um, I've just never been a fan of his. I respect him as a person, but I I was just never a fan of his as a performer. That kind of changed a little last year because he's been around so little. I remember marking out when he returned last year on Raw in a segment with Del Rio or something in July of 2012, and then he took some time off earlier this year after re-injuring his knee. I know he comp- uh, participated in the Royal Rumble and then a match on SmackDown a few days later. And I think he was injured by Mark Henry or something um, on the Raw before Elimination Chamber or something like that. In February, I know he was taken out of action by Mark Henry in storyline, of course, and now making his first in-ring appearance since then. And, of course, he is the 
fifth mystery man to the team Cody Rhodes, Goldust, and the Usos for Sunday's Elimination Chamber, I'm sorry, Survivor Series tag team matchup. So I'm looking forward to that, but Mysterio finally back in the ring. He was seen limping down to the ring as he made his return. That was a little scary, um, if only because the, uh, Rey Mysterio has had knee problems in the past, recurring knee problems for years now. So I, I fear it's not before long. It, it, it's only a matter of time before we see him hang up his boots for good. But if he's going to go out with a bang, he was hoping that this is his final run um, before he finally hangs it up for good. He gets one last good run out of it. And, um, you know, he, he gets involved in some high-profile matches because, let's face it, his last run last year wasn't all that inspiring. He had a good tag team going with uh, Sin Cara, but that eventually flopped when both guys got injured. And where is Sin Cara anyway? I heard that he was dealing with some visa issues, so hopefully he hurries back and tag teams with uh, Rey Mysterio again. Those two add to the tag team division. That'd be fantastic. The tag team division is doing excellent right now in WWE. I'm very glad they're bringing uh, prominence back to the tag team division in WWE. But even still, though, Rey Mysterio closing out the show with his return. So that closed out a very good edition of Monday Night Raw. Um, I very much enjoyed it. There were very uh, quite a few noteworthy moments on the show with the Miz turning heel. We had a new IC champion crowned. Rey Mysterio returned. Ryback shell-shocked the big show. Just a whole bunch of good stuff. A lot of stuff I could have done without including you know, the Divas musical chairs and the matches involving Maddox and Vicky, especially Vicky, who you know, made some tasteless jokes towards AJ. But you know, aside from that, though, I thought this was a very good show, much better than I thought it would be for a country Raw. Um, going into it, I thought it was going to be a complete disaster, but it was just that. It was a very entertaining Raw. It was a terrible go-home show, but let's face it. Did anyone really expect this show to do anything to get you excited about Survivor Series? Because right now, the card looks like crap. There are some matches I'm looking forward to, but most of this card looks like crap. I have no intentions of purchasing it. It was one of the main reasons why I did not end up buying tickets to this show. There was no way in heck I was going to go home for the weekend and then drive back for just for Survivor Series, which could end up being terrible. I mean, it's always great being there live. Don't get me wrong. Um, it always enhances the experience if they're there live, regardless of whether the show is good or not. But I don't want to waste my money on something on a show that I might not have fun at, you know? Especially being headlined by the Big Show versus Randy Orton. But even still, Survivor Series has had one of the worst build-ups in quite some time, so I'm not at all excited for that. But with a few minutes that we have left, speaking of Survivor Series, I'll give my quick picks for the show. We've got Kofi Kingston versus The Miz in the kickoff match. The Miz, since he just recently turned heel, I'm going to have to go with him here. If he loses, his <laughs> push is over before it even started. So we've got to go with The Miz here. Up next, it's a 7-on-7 Total Divas versus non-Total Divas, I guess you could say. Elimination Chamber. I keep on saying Elimination Chamber. It's an Elimination Tag Team Traditional Survivor Series matchup. It's Natalia, the Bella Twins, the Funkadactyls, Eva Marie, and JoJo taking on the Divas champion AJ Lee, Tamina Snuka, Caitlin, Rosa Mendez, Summer Rae, Oksana, and Alicia Fox. Total Divas. I watch the show, actually. It's not that bad of a show. So I just hate the, you know, the promotion that it gets on the main shows. It takes a lot of, away from the Divas division, but at least they're getting focused right now. But um, even still, there's no way in heck they'd be having the Total Divas lose this matchup. So finally, the Bella Twins and Natalia get their vengeance over AJ without, have a, without actually having to take her title. So I'm going to have to go to the Total Divas here. Who survives, I have no idea. But here's hoping they get AJ, not AJ, uh, Eva and JoJo eliminated from this thing early because they have no business being in the ring with as uh, little experience as they have. 
Cody Rhodes, Gold Dusty Usos, and their mystery man, Rey Mysterio, will take on The Shield and The Real Americans in a highly anticipated five-on-five elimination tag team Survivor Series matchup. Like I said before, I love these kind of matches. I love the concept. Love seeing them every year. They never get enough hype, in my opinion, but this one could be very, very fun considering who's involved, especially considering the uh, it's going to be the entering return of Rey Mysterio. But uh, it only makes sense to have Rhodes, Goldust, the Usos, and Mysterio go over here, especially since this is Mysterio's in-ring return. So I'm going to have to go with Mysterio's team going over here. And maybe he pins Dean Ambrose to win the matchup, and then we get Ambrose versus Ray for the U.S. title come TLC, which I think would be fantastic. CM Punk and Daniel Bryan are going to tag team for the first time ever on pay-per-view to take on the Wyatt Family's own Luke Harper and Eric Rowan. Now, Punk and Brian have been getting the best of the Wyatt family for uh, a few weeks now on last week's SmackDown, last week's Raw, last night's Raw. So it only makes sense for the Wyatt family to go over here. If not, then what was the whole purpose of this feud? I know Daniel Bryan's been losing a lot of matches on pay-per-view lately, but let's face it. He's going to be over no matter what. So they got to give the edge to the Wyatt family here. And here's hoping it leads to some sort of you know TLC tag team match. Uh, come TLC next month, which could be fantastic. So I'm looking forward to that. But my official pick here is the Wyatt family. World Heavyweight Championship up for grabs. John Cena versus Alberto Del Rio. Obviously, John Cena is going to be in his hometown of Boston. They've buried Del Rio to the point where he has no business in being involved in the world title picture. So Cena goes over here, still your World Heavyweight Champion. And in the main event, Randy Orton versus Big Show for the WWE Championship. It was certified on last night's Raw that there will be no interference. As we know of, as, as of right now, that we know of, there will be no interference. So here's hoping, fingers crossed, couldn't care less about Big Show being in the title match in 2013. So hopefully this match, it, it's going to be closing the show, let's face it. But hopefully it exceeds expectations because their Extreme Rules match earlier this year was actually pretty entertaining. But um, even still, Orton just won the title a month ago, so I'm going with Randy Orton here. So overall, couldn't care less about Survivor Series, only going... Um, to watch it at Buffalo Wild Wings on Sunday because I'm meeting up with an old friend that I haven't seen in a few months. So I'm looking forward to having a fun time watching the show with him at Buffalo Wild Wings on Sunday. But with all that being said, um, let's close out the show now with a few shameless plugs, as always. Like I said before, you guys can check out my website at nextarawrestling.weebly.com for all the WWE TNA rumors, recaps, and more, as well as my reviews of Raw, SmackDown, Survivor Series this Sunday, and much, much more. So check that out. Check out my interviews at wrestlerantradio.podbean.com. It's going to be great, so make sure to check that out. Um, for all my interviews with all the stars of the wrestling world and download the official app by going to WrestleRantRadio.Podbean.com on your official mobile device on Safari. Click the little arrow and download to your home screen. So that should be great as well. Also, make sure to check out um, the repeat of the show on Saturday nights at 8 o'clock Eastern Time, 7 Central Time, right here on EC Radio. Also, check out my official Facebook page at Graham GSM Matthews. Any support is greatly, I'm sorry for botching that. Uh, greatly appreciated. Also, to check out my Bleacher Report articles and YouTube channel, simply by searching Graham GSM Matthews. So subscribe to my YouTube channel and read my articles. I will probably have a fun fact article on Survivor Series come next week, and my prediction for the show will be in written form this upcoming weekend as well. So with all that being said. 
Thanks for listening live, folks. Really do appreciate it. Enjoy Survivor Series this upcoming weekend. It's going to be great. Hopefully. Right now, it doesn't look all that great, but hopefully it ends up being better than expected. For those of you going to be purchasing the pay-per-view, I don't suggest you do so, but um, if you do, enjoy. And if you're attending the show, the show that I ultimately did not buy tickets for, enjoy as well. And of course, I will not be here next week, next Tuesday. I'm going to be off of campus for Thanksgiving. So enjoy your Thanksgiving, folks. We will be back here in two weeks' time on December 3rd, 2013, regular time, 9 o'clock Eastern time. It's 8 o'clock Central Time right here on EC Radio. With all that being said, folks, enjoy your Thanksgiving. This is GSM signing out.